Well, greetings, brethren, and welcome to another Wednesday night Bible study. Uh, this evening, God willing, I will, or we will, uh, complete uh, the book of Colossians. Hopefully, we'll cover both chapters 3 and 4 today. And then, uh, God willing, next week, we will have a bit of a review, Q&A, um, and uh, just your opportunity to ask any questions regarding the studies that we've done recently. Let's go ahead and open with a word of prayer and then we can uh, get into this evening's study. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you once again, ever so grateful to you, God, for your mercy, your loving kindness toward us, your faithfulness, Father, to your covenant. We just thank you so much for Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for these uh, ancient writings that we have, thousands of years old, uh, that we're able to access and that are so relevant for the life that we are leading today. We thank you for this guidance, this light, we pray, God, that you'll help us to follow it and to truly acknowledge the central role of Jesus Christ in our lives. We praise you, Lord. We thank you and we pray in his name. Amen. So, brethren, I do just want to open up um, with a, a video here, which I'll do uh, right now. I think of a lot of things. The first thing I think is that we actually do have an ideological frame. Um, myself and Alicia in particular are trained organizers. Um, we uh, are trained Marxists. Um, we are uh, super uh, versed um, on sort of ideological theory. So I wanted to um, open with that and just how super versed um, they are, the, the leader, leaders of Black Lives Matter, uh, are in, in ideological theory and that they are trained Marxists, and they know what they're doing. And many of us uh, in Christ have no idea. And, and many of us in Christ have been following these people, and not just these people, but there are other philosophies as well. If you think of the whole environmental movement and how powerful that movement is, and, and many in Christ are, are following environmentalism. You think of uh, Islam and Chrislam, and uh, many getting caught up with that. We also can think of uh, just plain old socialism and social justice. And, and really what, what that is all about is making the state God, removing Jesus Christ from the central role of authority in our lives. And you have to have a God. And instead of having Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we replace him with the state. And the state starts telling us what we can do, where we can do it, how we can do it. You know, stand on one foot and hop for 30 seconds and then you can put it down. In fact, here in the UK, we're dealing with the uh, pandemic, the coronavirus. It is just non-stop coronavirus. The news is non-stop. It's punctuated only by, by moments of, of, of we must hate Donald Trump. Uh, and that's it. It's non-stop coronavirus. And then we'll, we'll, we'll take a break from coronavirus to tell you how much you should uh, hate Donald Trump. And in fact, that just leads me to the second video I want to uh, use before I get into the study for today. right up to our modern hysteria today uh, and it's no different how important it is just to be so consumed with hatred and hysteria and you know I was thinking about um, the news over here and how it's non-stop coronavirus punctuated by how much we must hate Donald Trump and uh, it, it struck me that really and truly this is the devil's work and uh, what do I mean by that it's, it's the devil's work in terms of the emotions that are being inflamed. If you think of the emotions of fear, that's what the coronavirus news is just non-stop. You, you cannot help but feel fearful. There's something in the air. It's so terrible. It's horrible, and it could kill you any minute, even though there's a 99.9% .9 recovery rate for anybody under 65 who contracts this virus. And yet, the, the, the whole nation is full of hysteria around this virus, and we're afraid of fellow human beings because of this virus. So this, this, this emotion, this intense emotion of fear. And then hatred. 
fear, hatred, fear, hatred. Um, and, and this is, this is the, 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 the identity now of the nation. Uh, people are full of anxiety and they're full of fear. And that, that's the exact opposite of the Christian modus operandi. We, we should be people who are full of peace and love. And instead, there's this contagious uh, mood of, of the nation, and, and I think all Western nations, maybe the whole world, this contagious mood of fear and hate. This is the work of Satan. Human beings should not be consumed with fear and hate. Christ wants the exact opposite for us. And, and, and now with the U.S. elections, and I hope, hopefully can speak to my uh, brethren in America, uh, where it looks like uh, Donald Trump is going to be uh, removed from the White House, from the presidency. Uh, it's not over yet. The, the election won't be called until December 14th, the media notwithstanding. Um, but, you know, it's likely that he will, he will lose. Again, it's not over. He could, he could retain uh, the presidency, which, uh, you know, <laughs> that, that's going to be a, a, a real um, disaster, I think, uh, immediate disaster, if, if that's the case. But um, if he does lose, uh, there's 74 million Americans that voted for him that are going to be very unhappy. And, and hopefully, brethren do not get caught up with fear and hatred. Uh, I, I think there is reason to fear uh, when Marxists, globalists get in power and what that's going to do to the Christian life. I mean, the Bible exhorts us to pray for our leaders. That, that we may lead a peaceful life, that we may be able to preach the gospel. And certainly when the Marxists, the globalists, get in control, they hate Jesus Christ, and they want to block any preaching of Christ. And so we, we may be globally see a sense of censorship that we have never seen before. But that's no reason to fear. And that's what Colossians is going to show us, that our whole frame of thinking cannot be so consumed with this life that it creates division in the body of Christ. And whether you're, cons whether you're seduced by Marxism and statism or consumed with uh, extreme patriotism to the point where you put that before brethren in Christ, either way, the Satan, uh, Satanist has been successful. Uh, Satan loses and he fails when we keep Christ at the center of our, of, of our ideology, of our way of thinking and our way of living. So that's, that's exactly what we want to um, cover today with today's um, study in, in Colossians. Now, um, in Colossians 2, just go back, he warned us, and, or, or warned the Colossians, but certainly you know, thousands of years later, here we are in our modern context, facing the same level of uh, syncretism, that there are these philosophies that uh, Paul got wind were influencing Colossae, and so he wrote to them urgently to say, do not be seduced, this will shipwreck you. And, and here today we see the same kind of syncretism of these ideologies creeping into the church and brethren becoming very passionate about these, these, these syncretistic ideologies mixed up with Christ. It kind of sounds religious, but it's not at all uh, to do with the covenant people. So he says here, beware, be aware, take heed, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. And that's where I opened up with this whole phenomenon of Black Lives Matter and brethren getting caught up with this. And the founder saying, we are very sophisticated in, in our understanding of, of Marxist ideology. We are trained Marxists. And I think a lot of us, we don't study history. We don't know what Marxism even is and what it means and the devastation that it's had on humanity and how evil it is. And we think we can mix it with Christ. But Paul warns here, don't allow vain deceit that they're speaking into your vanity and you're getting caught up. Oh, yes, I'm important. My life matters. This is, they're speaking into our vanity and this is philosophy. And, and we can be spoiled. We can be shipwrecked. We can be destroyed by these philosophies. These philosophies enter into our minds and then they drive our behavior. After the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. So there's a very clear distinction between what's going on in the world and what should be happening in the church with Christ. And then in verse 20 he says, Wherefore, if you be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why as though living in the world are you subject to ordinances? 
So in this case, he's pointing out a very clear contradiction. He, he wants to put it in, in the face of the Colossians. You're contradicting yourselves. On the one hand, you've been baptized, and you claim to be dead in Christ. And at the same time, you're, you're, you're um, so caught up in the ordinances of the world, and fighting for the ordinances. Don't, don't you see the contradiction? And, and the same can be said of us in this time of incredible incredible divisiveness uh, in the western world particularly but all around the world this is Satan's work and this is Satan's world and it's to divide us one from another but, but the church should be immune to this the church should be immune to this because we are so consumed with Jesus Christ and what he means to us and his purposes that these um, purposes of Satan and the world we should be immune to but many of us unfortunately are so um, caught up and seduced by these things that we are now prioritizing them over Christ and prioritizing them over the body of Christ, our rhetoric notwithstanding. So all of that brings us now to chapter 3 of Colossians. He now pivots. So he's dealt with the philosophical underpinnings of their seduction. He now pivots to their behavior because doctrine drives behavior. You get the doctrine wrong, your behavior will be wrong. You get the doctrine right, you can move to proper Christian conduct. And unfortunately, uh, for many of us, we're slipping away. Uh, we're slipping away from proper Christian conduct. We've got to, we've got to strive and fight uh, for this faith. Uh, if you then be risen with Christ, so he's established you're dead with Christ. Why, why are you fighting for the world? So if you then be risen with Christ... Seek those things which are above, where Christ sits on the right hand of God. And I think if America um, does go the way of the globalists and, and Christians come under significant um, persecution and censorship, uh, so what? I mean, I, I don't want to sound flippant, but this is, this is our lot in life. And this is the time now we have to be so serious. If America goes down, if America loses her, her uh, freedom, and her, her place in the world, uh, it is going to have a devastating impact on those who are in Christ. And the Bible warns us to pray for our King so that we can live a quiet life and be able to preach the gospel. But if that's lost to us, this becomes really critical now. And I really think that many of us are not ready for what's coming. Many of us have no idea what's coming. And we're not ready. And when the, this intense persecution begins, uh, many are going to be caught off guard. Many are not rooted, grounded, and established in this truth. And so this whole idea of um, falling victim to syncretism, and falling victim to false philosophies, and uh, clearly in Colossae there were many, not just one particular thing, there were many, and, and they were being syncretized in with Christ. Same thing is happening to us today. And once that infection gets in, uh, it weakens our spine. And once the persecution begins, we can't stand it. So if you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sits on the right hand of God. And that's got to be critical to us, that we know that he sits on the right hand of God. In fact, he himself said that when he was on earth in Matthew 22 and verse 42. He says, um, saying, What think you of Christ? Whose son is he? They said unto him, The son of David. He says unto them, How then does David in spirit call him Lord, saying, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit you on my right hand. So, so, so David prophesied that Christ, as the son of David, would sit on the right hand of God. And now he's reasoning with them and saying, well, how is this that David calls him Lord? But notice that, that the Lord says to my Lord, sit you on my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So now when Paul says, hey, you know, seek those things which are above, um, and, and Christ, he says that Christ sits um, on the right hand of God. Well, to the Christian who understands the teaching of Christ, that he's sitting on the right hand of God until he makes all his enemies his footstool. So this is our victory. Regardless of what happens on earth, we know that Christ is in heaven and he's sitting on the right hand of God until all his enemies are made his footstool. So as powerful as men appear to be, we know that there is no power, there is no principality above Christ. 
And so we can have confidence in Christ. In Revelation 22 and verse 7, he says, Behold, I come quickly. So even though he's in heaven, the Christian knows he's coming quickly. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keeps the sayings of the prophecy of this book. And so we've got to be in the book of Revelation, reading, rereading, staying well versed in the um, unfolding of God's plan and remaining confident in it, regardless of what's happening here on earth. And, you know, if 2020 has shown us anything as it, as it comes to a close, uh, be ready for anything. 2020 has been a year of surprises. Uh, 2021 offers to be far worse. You know, every year, Happy New Year, Happy New Year, uh, we are declining rapidly. Uh, but the Christian can face all of this because we know that the Lord comes quickly. Blessed is he that keeps the sayings of the prophecy of this book. So this is our priority, to hold on to these teachings. And then in verse 12 he says, And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give every man according as his work shall be. So what is our work, and is it truly the work of, of Christ? Or are we getting um, caught up in the ordinances of this world and following the people of this world uh, to the detriment of the unity in Christ? Verse 2 of Colossians 3, he says, Set your affection on things above, not on things on earth. So this is the time, brethren, for us to really be immersed in the words of God and really focused on the things of God and, and, you know, our heart is in this. We really are. It's like all day, every day, we're just constantly thinking of this. It's almost like an obsession in a way, in a, in a positive way. And we are obsessed with Christ. This is, this is an amazing man, who, who, God who became man and walked on the earth and taught his disciples and dropped these beautiful teachings and now expects us to follow them. And we're just, we're just amazed by these teachings. And our affection is set on what's coming. He's in heaven. His reward is with him. He's coming to establish the kingdom of God. And this is where our affection is. It's not, in fact, on the things of this world. He says, the reason we should do this is because you are dead. And your life is hid with Christ in God. So I'm here in the uh, UK supporting my family as we mourn the loss of my wife's father. And, um, you know, we saw him before he was buried. And he was dead. And, you know, the way our society is uh, structured now, we don't see many dead bodies that often. I think, you know, that's going to change soon. We see dead bodies everywhere soon, according to the prophecies. But right now we don't see dead bodies that often. But when you look at a dead body, I mean, my father-in-law was there. I could see him. That, that, that's, that was the man. But he wasn't there. He was dead. It looked, it looked like he was just sleeping, breathing, but he was dead. There was no life in him. And, and the scripture says, we are dead. We're dead. But we're not really. We should be. But when you see Christians fighting, fighting each other for, this, for things of this world, for men of this world, then we're not dead. We're not dead in Christ. Dead is lifeless. Dead means there's no life there. So... One thing happens this way or it happens that way, we're good either way. Because we're dead to this world. And our life is hid with Christ. That's where our life is. Now, I appear dead right now because my life is hidden with Christ who's sitting on the right hand of God. Uh, and then he says in verse 4, When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. So we appear dead right now. People don't really take notice, notice of us. But something is happening. Something is being built. Something is being established in us. And when Christ appears, then suddenly everybody's going to realize, wow, there's the real life. Look how powerful these, these people are. We didn't even notice them on the earth because we were dead on the earth. So I think we have to be very clear. What does it mean to be dead in Christ? And what does it mean that our life is hidden with him? And it shall appear when he appears in glory. And many, when Christ appears, many will be horrified. They'll be terrified. We will be glorified when he appears. We're looking forward to his appearing. In 2 Timothy uh, 4 and verse 8, the Apostle Paul says, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, 
shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love is appearing. So Paul was dead to this world. He was dead to this world, and that's why he kept looking forward to Christ in any persecution, any suffering, any afflictions that he faced in this life. He just took it on the chin because his, he kept looking to the finish line with Christ. And, and, and we have to ask ourselves very, very um, forcefully in, in our private meditations, are we looking for the finish line? Is our heart, is our affection really set on things above? Or are we caught up with this life? Back to Colossians 3, verse 5. Because we are now focused on our life in Christ and we're dead to this world, that, that right doctrine of not allowing these syncretistic ideas to creep into the church and seduce us with these vain deceits and, and philosophies of men, uh, we're not, we, we've got to root that out. And if we get the right perspective, if we have the right doctrine, the right behavior will follow. So he says, mortify, therefore, your members which are upon earth. So, so if we're dead, then we have to kill our members which are upon the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil con concupiscence, covetousness, which is idolatry. So all of these uh, sexually immoral sins, all of them are derivatives of covetousness of not being satisfied with what God has given us. Uh, whether we're single or married, uh, you know, divorced, uh, widowed, whatever state we're in, to be therewith content. But what the devil wants is for us to be not content and to be constantly looking for something else, even if it belongs to somebody else. And so all of these things are covetousness, and covetousness is idolatry. That instead of having Christ as the center of our life and the head of our, 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 our of, of the church, we are replacing the head with something else. We're disobeying the head and having something else as the head. And and for many of us, it's this this statism which is creeping into the world now, where where the government becomes God. And and you know, <laughs> I like to say there's uh, uh, Sharia in Islam, if you study Islam, you study Sharia, every single aspect of the human life, everything, is governed uh, by the state. So that's, that's religious Sharia. And, and what we're entering to into the West now is um, secular Sharia. It's the same Sharia. It's the same absolute control over every aspect of the human life, that we can just tell you anything and you have to do it. Uh, regardless, we, we are the highest authority in your life. And this is what people don't understand that we're falling into as we fall into these Marxist uh, ideologies. But for them, they want to control everything. And in controlling everything, abortion is fine. Transgenderism is fine. Having your child mutilate their genitals to become the opposite gender, that's fine. Uh, any sort of sexual immorality, that's all fine. What's not fine is assembling for religious observance. No, no, you can't have that. that, that we, we rule against that. And so this, this is idolatry. When you're, you're removing Christ as the head and putting something else as your God and following something else as your God. And, and, and that's clearly what, what the Apostle is showing us here, that all of these sexual sins, and it goes back to the Garden of Eden, in fact, that true, proper sexuality honors God. It honors Christ. It, it, it reflects the relationship of Christ and the church, and it foreshadows what is coming with Christ and the church. Any other form of sexual activity is idolatry. Any other form of sexual activity worships the devil. And, and unfortunately, in our world now, we're seeing so much, again, both with both forms of Sharia, uh, so much of uh, pedophilia. Uh, you know, this is you know, just sickening. Who, who would harm children this way. But all of this is devil worship. In Ephesians 5, and, and I just want to constantly show us that to, better, to best understand Colossians, we need to couple it with Ephesians. That these, these letters were basically written at the same time. And so Paul is not saying something totally different to the Colossians, although he didn't have a relationship with the church of Colossae. Uh, what he's teaching them is very similar 
to what he's teaching the Ephesians. And certainly last chapter, chapter 2, there's some passages there that could be misinterpreted. But when you read it alongside Ephesians, it becomes clear, okay, he's not saying that. It's very clear what he, he, he is saying in terms of joining the commonwealth of Israel. So here in Ephesians 2, he says, and walk in love. So, so don't walk in, in, in idolatry. Walk in love as Christ also has loved us and has given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But fornication and all cleanness, uncleanness, or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becomes saint, saints. So you can see this is the same teaching. These things matter. And, and, and in Ephesians, he establishes doctrine first, and then he shifts to behavior. We're seeing the same thing here in Colossians. The first two chapters, he's establishing doctrine. The next two chapters, he's pivoting to behavior. So the same thing. Get, get these sexual immoral sins out. These things should never be mentioned among the saints of God. Back to Colossians 3, verse 6. For which things sake... Don't mess around with this, brethren. Don't allow anybody to fool you, to think that, oh yeah, Christ is so tolerant of everything, everything's good. Christ is this big teddy bear, cuddly teddy bear. We can do whatever we like. Don't, don't, don't do that, brethren. These things matter. We cannot, we cannot have tolerance of these things in the church. And, and it's so unfortunate uh, that we don't have uh, more brethren, and, and ministers as well, and deacons, standing against these immoral acts as they creep into the church. You see women coming into the church half naked. Uh, you know, women coming to Sabbath services wearing leggings and plunging necklines. And uh, These things are wrong, brethren. So maybe nobody else will say it. I'll say it. These things are wrong. And they lead men to have wrong thoughts. And they lead to poor interactions, suboptimal interactions between men and women. And they lead to covetousness, which is idolatry. So he says, for which things sake, the wrath of God comes on the children of disobedience. This is New Testament. Now, oh, the Old Testament is such a wrath. No, this is New Testament. For which things sake, it's because of these things, that the wrath of God comes on the children of disobedience. What did he say to Ephesus? Let no man deceive you with vain words. For because of these things comes the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Very clear. Very, very clear. Same teaching. He says in verse 7 of Ephesians 5, Be not you therefore partakers with them. Change your behavior. Don't, don't think you're in Christ, you can do whatever you like. Change your behavior. Repent of these things. Expunge these things from the church and from your life. Back to Colossians 3, verse 7. In the which you also walked some time when you lived in them. So this is where you're coming from. I understand you're coming from this. Get rid of it. Don't, don't carry it over into the church. What did he say to Ephesus? For, Ephesians 5 verse 8. For you were sometimes darkness, but now are you light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. You can see the absolute parallel between these two letters. Colossians 3 and verse 8. But now you also put off all these. Anger, wrath, malice, Blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. So first we're dealing with these um, sexual perversions, which our societies are just just filled with it. Just filled with it. It's, I feel sorry for children growing up in this world today. It's, you know, the state becomes God, and the state just revels in this horrible perversity. And so they're constantly lowering standards, lowering standards, lowering standards while they play that, oh, we, uh, we believe in equality and all of this nonsense. They hate God. And, and, and Christians should be very, very clear. Men hate God. Men without the Holy Spirit hate God. We cannot put our trust or faith in them, in any of them, only in Christ. So first he deals with the sexual perversity and says all of that is covetousness. Any, any trace of it is covetousness, which is idolatry, or it's rooted in covetousness, which is idolatry. Now, he's speaking of these other uh, sins and vices. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication. All these things are what's coming out of the mouth. Um, he's, he's telling us, get rid of these things. And so as we are growing in Christ, uh, how we speak is a reflection of our heart. And that should also be growing in Christ. 
in Ephesians he says that you put off concerning the former conversation or conduct the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful law so same thing he's saying you know now put off these same thing he said to Ephesians put off the former behavior now back to Colossians 3 and verse 9 lie not one to another so what's coming out of our mouth is what he's focusing on now and don't lie to each other seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds so don't lie don't don't speak what you know is false this is what this is what the devil does this is what the devil introduced into the universe don't do this and and don't speak of untrue philosophies into the church don't bring your false ideologies into the church that is to lie to the brethren speak the, the word of god lie not one to another seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds so put off these things and then make sure you do not lie one to another in Ephesians 4.25 he says wherefore put, putting away lying speak every man truth with his neighbor for we are members one of another verse 22 of Ephesians 4 that you put off concerning the former conduct the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust so you can constantly see this this parallel between what he's writing to the Ephesians and what he's writing to the brethren at Colossae. Although he doesn't know the brethren at Colossae and maybe he's a little bit more uh, delicate in how he frames everything with them, it's this exact same message. Um, Colossians 3 and verse 10, And have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge. There it is again. In, in, in chapters 1 and 2, he kept emphasizing the central role of knowledge and again many Christians want to downplay knowledge so that they can downplay teachers and then they want to position themselves as teachers even though they say knowledge isn't important it's all about praise and it's all about emotion um, here this, this, as we read this letter we realize just how critical it was to Paul that the brethren grow in knowledge in the right knowledge and put off false knowledge so that the right knowledge would lead to the right behavior he says, and you put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. So it's all about Christ. And as we focus on Christ, our knowledge, our grace and knowledge grows. But it's knowledge of Christ and knowledge in Christ that is being renewed. That, that's how, the, that, that's how the, um, the new man is, is, is. That's how we grow. The new man is renewed in knowledge. Then he says this, and this is very important for our time. Verse 11, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. And so all of these uh, false ideologies are leading to displacing Christ, and then once Christ is displaced, that leads to divisiveness. If we keep Christ as the central authority of our lives and of the church, the head of the church, and we, are, we, are, we continue to be overwhelmed by his glory and focused on his glory, we don't have time for nonsense. We don't have time for distractions. We, we stay focused on Christ and on the finish line that he's called us to. And then we're one body. We are one body. And we don't allow these false ideologies. It's terrible. And, and, you know, four years ago, I warned the church, this Black Lives Matter thing, stay away. It's evil. Stay away from it. I warned the church. And still, we didn't listen. And it's, it's, grief, it's grievous to me. Didn't listen. And now this divisiveness over race, uh, we've fallen victim to this. Well, no, there's, there's, there's no black or white, bond nor free, male nor female. We're one in Christ. We have one calling in Christ and we should be so focused on that everything else pales into insignificance in verse 12 he says put on therefore as the elect of God understand who you are what you've been grafted into put on therefore as the elect of God part of the covenant community now holy and beloved vows of mercies kindness humbleness of mind meekness long suffering this is the way we should be with one another this, this, this is how we can't be taking up causes of the world and bringing that into the church and, and being angry because of these ideologies. No. We, we need to push these out of the church. And with each other, we're just very patient, we're merciful, we're kind to one another, we're humble, uh, we're, 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 we're long-suffering. 
forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against Evan, any, even as Christ forgave you, also do you. That's the exact teaching of Jesus Christ to us. How can we expect forgiveness if we're not going to forgive, forgive others? If, if we don't forgive those who trespass against us, how can we expect uh, God to forgive us as we trespass against him? So, so notice the language. We have to forbear. Even though we're all in Christ, we're all different. And, and there, there, there are certain personality types that may stress other personality types. Uh, but that's okay. Because we're so clear on what we're a part of as the elect of God that we forbear one another and we're quick to forgive one another. Notice what he says in Ephesians, the exact parallel of teachings. Ephesians 4 and verse 22. With all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love. Exact same teachings. And in fact, as I'm reading this, forbearing one another in love, many years ago when we started uh, the Burlington Congregation, Pastor Murray gave a sermon. And I forget the exact name of it. I think it might have even just been called One Another. And he went through the New Testament teachings and, and identified for us how many teachings there were focused on one another. It was such an impactful sermon. I think it helped to, to define the culture of, of the Burlington congregation as he showed all the things that we should be doing with and for one another and all the things that we should not be doing uh, to one another. And, and it was quite enlightening. It was really struck me because I'd never heard that before. And as I say, I think it helped define culture of the Burlington congregation, but there are many, many teachings on how we as a body in Christ should treat one another and how we should not treat one another, because again, of the very clear central role of Christ in the life of the church. So, so very clear uh, parallels and teachings between Ephesians and Colossians. Uh, chapter 3, verse 14, and above all these things, put on agape. <laughs> this is really critical central role of agape because the prophecy says that in the last days the agape will run cold that Christians will give up and they'll lose this agape and, and, and so this is we're already seeing hints of it so above all these things put on agape which is the bond of perfectness and let the peace of God rule in your hearts and again I'm quite struck or, or stricken by the fearfulness and the anxiety that is in our, our world today, by the constant news media just constantly feeding this anxiety over what? Over a virus with a 99% recovery rate. Unbelievable. Over a virus that they told us was going to have a 4% death rate and actually has a death rate of a fraction of 1%. And yet we're still in this state of heightened hysteria. And in this state of heightened hysteria, all kinds of legislation can be passed and we'll agree to it. And our freedom is taken away from us and we agree to it because we're in this constant state of fear, fearfulness. But the Christian should be different. Let the peace of God... So, so there's uh, a choice between, as I opened in, in my opening comments, uh, the society that's filled with fear and hate. Fear and hate. Fear and hate. Uh, the Christian is peace and love. Peace and love. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also you are called in one body, and be you thankful. So this, this peace, it, it should rule in our hearts, realizing as well that we're called into one body, and the church should be peaceful with each other, and grateful. In Ephesians 4 and verse 3, he says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Same teaching. There is one body, same teaching, and one Spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling. So there should be peace in the church. In Colossians 3 and verse 16 he says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom. There it is again. The central role, the importance, the critical role of knowledge, and therefore teachers, in the body of Christ. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So there's this sense of gratitude and taking the word of God and, and uh, exhorting one another, building each other up uh, with the word of God. Ephesians 5:19, same teaching. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. And again, even though the state steps in and says you mustn't sing, 
You can talk, but if you sing, that's against the law. Uh, the Word of God says we must always be singing spiritual songs and hymns and singing with grace in our hearts to the Lord and making melody in our heart to the Lord. So this wonderful uh, parallel between Colossians and Ephesus. Uh, Colossians 3, verse 17. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. So everything that we do, we're just, again, this all, I, I, obsession kind of has a negative connotation, but I can't think of a better word. We're consumed with Christ. We're obsessed with Christ. And everything that we do, we're doing in the name of the Lord. Even though I'm doing my physical work here, my, my secular career, I'm doing it in the name of the Lord Jesus, serving my customers as if I'm serving Jesus, or you're serving your management as if you're serving Jesus. Because we, we see past all of this, and we constantly have our eye on the finish line. Verse 18 of Colossians 3, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. It doesn't say women submit to men. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands, as is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and be not bitter against them. I think you, could, you already hear Ephesians, because most of us do not. If I was just to read this passage and say, what, what, what book is this? I think every 99% of us would say, maybe 100% of us, would say Ephesians. Yeah, there's a real parallel between what he taught Ephesus and what he taught Colossae. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands, as is fit in the Lord. So again, when we're dealing with these false doctrines, these false ideologies, Paul brings it back to proper understanding leads to proper behavior. So again, if you look at this movement of, of Black Lives Matter and how it wants to destroy patriarchy, how there's no place in the ideology for the black heterosexual male. And certainly, if, if there's no place for the black heterosexual male, there's certainly no place for the white heterosexual male. Uh, and there's no place for, for, for God-ordained marriage. But, Christ, but, but Christ's teachings, when we get the right teachings, it comes back to our behavior. Get rid of all this sexual immorality. Get rid of the sins of the tongue. And establish ourselves in a right understanding and right behavior in our marriage. Establish our marriages. And so same teaching to Ephesus, same teaching to Colossae. So how is, how, how is your marriage? How is my marriage? How, how, how are we treating our wives, men? And wives, how are we submitting to our husbands, our own husbands? Because this, this is like so important to the teaching here that there's a level of understanding. If we're on the carnal level, oh, that sounds horrible. But if we can move and elevate our thinking to, to Christ-level thinking, then we understand exactly why this is so important. Wives, submit yourself to your own husbands as is appropriate in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. All of this we can hear Ephesians 5 and 6 echoing in our minds. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily, as to the Lord, and not unto men. Again, same teaching to Ephesus. Knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance. For you serve the Lord Christ. And he's coming quickly with his reward. And he's going to reward all of us according to our works. And our works doesn't just mean our religious works. He says, serve, you know, whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord, and not unto men. So what we do on our day-to-day day -day secular lives, our carnal lives, we do it to Christ, so that Christ is constantly central in our lives, knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. But he that does wrong shall receive for the wrong which he has done, and there is no respect of persons. Wait a minute. I thought that works don't matter. I thought that now that we're in Christ, we can do whatever we want, and Christ forgives everything. That doesn't seem to be the teaching of, of the Apostle Paul, as he tries to establish right doctrine in Ephesus and Colossae. But he that does wrong shall receive for the wrong which he has done, and there is no respect of persons. 
Don't don't think that on that day we can say, well, oh, but Lord, I, I I'm an elder. Oh, but Lord, I I'm I'm in, I believe in Christ. No, for these things the wrath of God comes upon the earth. Masters, chapter four, verse one. Give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So same thing that in Ephesians, that how human brains, how human minds interact with each other. Whether it's husband and wife, uh, parents and children, uh, employers and employees, um, there's this constant interaction between human minds, where you know one may be in a, a more dominant role, but there's unity, and there's love, and there's caring, and the Marxist uh, Karl Marx couldn't get his head around this. It's all about destroying any sort of uh, power power lines, and uh, we're all equal. But there's always power lines. And when we say, oh, we're all equal, destroy all, destroy the patriarchy and let's do whatever we want. And then, yeah, we end up doing whatever we want. The, those in power end up doing whatever they want. And the whole thing was a hoax. And we fell for it. So he says, uh, Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. And you masters do the same thing. Oh, sorry, this is uh, Ephesians 6 now. <clears throat> I didn't read uh, Ephesians 5 and 6 about the family relationships. I think we're all very familiar with that. Uh, but many times we miss that uh, Paul taught Ephesus about employers and employees. And here in Ephesians 6 and verse 9, And you masters do the same things unto them, forbearing threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven. Neither is their respective persons with him. So the exact same teachings in Colossians 4 verse 1, knowing that you have a master in heaven. Let that control and govern how you lead. Colossians 4 verse 2, continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. So again, as this world around us is rapidly unraveling, and I think as America loses its, its dominance in the world, it's going to be a very different world for us. And so we must continue in prayer and watch in the same, watch in prayer, with thanksgiving. In Ephesians 6 and verse 18, he says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. So same, same teaching. Colossians 4 verse 4, That I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. So you keep praying, and pray so that the, the word, the gospel can be preached. And that's why we pray for kings, not because we like this king or that king, we look at the policies and, and we look at what they're trying to do and we see, is this going to help us preach the gospel or is this going to interfere with our preaching of the gospel? And then we pray so that those who have the, the uh, courage or, and, and the uh, calling and, and that role to preach the gospel, that, that the gospel can be preached. The, the world needs to hear the gospel of Christ. Certainly Judah and Israel need to hear the good news that God has for them. So we pray that um, Paul, in this case the, 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 the arm or the body of Christ that does the preaching, may make it obvious as, as I ought to speak. In Ephesians 6.19, he asks them to pray. He says, and pray for me, that utterance may be given unto me, and that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. So I think we have to just really, uh, and, and I'm really emphasizing the uh, parallel with Ephesus, because there's so much here in Colossians that if you go and study the letter to the Ephesians, it's going to make what Paul is saying to Colossae so much more clear. And we did do, during the Feast of Tabernacles, um, the book of Ephesians. So if you missed that, I'd encourage you to go into the archive and, and study that book. There's so much there. And, and when you study Ephesians and you come to Colossians, it's like, wow, he's, he's saying the same thing, and it's just so much clearer how he's using proper doctrinal understanding to withstand the, the influence of the principalities and powers through their philosophies and vain deceits. In Colossians 4 verse 5 he says, Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. So we should be leading them by our example, not following their bad examples. And so as we interact with those, certainly there's a way that we interact with each other in the church, and he gave us those instructions, but also as we interact with those outside of the church, that we must walk in wisdom toward them and redeeming the time. In Ephesians 4 and verse 1, he says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beg you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. 
So there's a way that we have to walk which is appropriate to this calling. Colossians 4 and verse 6. Let your speech be always with grace. Always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. And that's certainly coming. We have to have, we, we need to be growing in knowledge and know what we're talking about and know how to answer every man and warn every man. Uh, then he's now closing the letter in Ephesians 4, verse 7. He says, All my state shall Tychicus declare unto you, who is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. So he is certainly letting them know that uh, Tychicus is going to come unto you. He's going to share these uh, letters with you. He's going to also let you know what my state of affairs is. And I want you to know this is one of the men you can trust. Not everybody, but this is one you can trust. In 2 Timothy 1 and verse 15, he says, This you know, that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me, of whom are Phygelus and Hermogenate. So, you know, when he calls out Tychicus to say this is a faithful man, uh, that's high praise indeed because it was a time of crisis and many were turning away. And so we've got to be established and to know that through the Holy Spirit, God will always give us faithful men, faithful teachers. Colossians 4 and verse 8, uh, speaking of Tychicus, whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose that he might know your estate and comfort your heart. So he's going to let you know how I'm doing, but he also wants to see how you're doing, and, and he can re, uh, relay that back to me. But he's also going to comfort you as well. Then in verse 9, with Onesimus, and we did the study on Philemon, so if you missed that, that's in the archive as well. Uh, we were all about really focused on the relationship of Onesimus and Philemon and the impact of that on the congregation. Uh, and so Tychicus is coming and he's with on Onesimus so Paul is sending on Onesimus back to Colossae with Onesimus a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you he comes from your congregation I'm sending him back to you I want you to know he's a faithful and beloved brother they shall make known unto you all things which are done here so they didn't have uh, Twitter and Facebook and uh, all this social media uh, that we have today and so this is how news had to, to spread. And who knows, in this world of great technological advances, maybe we'll have to go back to this sort of communication where we have to have rely on certain brethren as they're traveling to uh, relay to other brethren the state of affairs because we are, are, we are cut off from these platforms. In um, Philemon 10, he says, I beg you for my son Anisimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds. So that's where Onesimus, and again, we did the study on Philemon already, but uh, although Onesimus was part of the household of uh, Philemon, it's not until he was with Paul that he was actually converted, and now he's being sent back to Colossae. Uh, verse 10. Aristarchus, uh, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, salutes you. So clearly he's in prison with Paul. And Marcus, sister's son to Barnabas, touching whom you received commandments if he come unto you receive him and Yesu uh, which is called Justice or Hesu uh, which is called Justice uh, who are of the circumcision these only are my fellow workers unto the kingdom of God which have been a comfort unto me so Paul is very very concerned with false teaching and false teachers and false ideologies and syncretism being mixed up in the in the congregation, so he's he's, he's calling out the men that can be trusted. And then um, with these men here, he says, "These only are my fellow workers. Don't don't anybody else coming to you? I don't endorse them. These only are my fellow workers unto the kingdom of God, which has been a comfort unto me." So these are true brethren, true teachers. Epaphras, who is one of you, so he comes from the Colossian congregation, a servant of Christ, salutes you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers. He's really, truly supporting you. He's constantly praying for you that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God, which cannot be taken for granted. And brethren, we cannot take this for granted. This is something we have to strive for. It's something we have to pray for. We need to be praying for one another that we may stand perfect and complete 
in all the will of God. Satan is trying to pull us away from that. For I bear him record that he has a great zeal for you. This this man loves you. And I, I, I'm going to bear him record. He has a great zeal for you. And let them... And, and, so he has a great zeal for you. And them that are in Laodicea. And them in Heropolis. So these are different congregations that Epaphras has uh, served. And he certainly has a great love for them. And uh, praying for them. And of course we know the brethren at Laodicea. Uh, to be in the book of Revelation one of the seven congregations in Revelation that was in great trouble and uh, here he's praying uh, Epaphras is praying uh, constantly, fervently, laboring for them in prayers they may, they may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God not to be taken for granted in fact when Christ writes to Laodicea he upbraids them and he really challenges them to get their act together because they're about to lose everything and, and so, you know, Colossae and, and Laodicea seem to have similar issues. And uh, so whatever was happening in Colossae, that seems to give us some insight into what was going on in Laodicea as well. So there must be some creeping of syncretism and false philosophies getting into Laodicea. Uh, and he is just, uh, Epaphras has such great zeal for Colossae, for Laodicea, and for Heropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Salute the brethren which are in Laodicea. So these are sister congregations. And it's amazing today. These are um, cities that are in what we call Turkey today, called Asia, uh, back in Paul's day, but Turkey today. And certainly the uh, Islamic uh, hordes moved in and slaughtered and destroyed and forcefully converted all of these cities to Islam. And so hopefully, uh, well we know that there's always a faithful remnant uh, these brethren would have been martyred and uh, but they would have been martyred faithfully and now looking forward to the resurrection. So he says here, salute the brethren which are in Laodicea and Nymphas and the church which is in his house and when this epistle is read among you, this is where I said the issues that are going on here in Colossae with syncretism, give us an indication of what was going on in Laodicea and when Christ writes to Laodicea, he upbraids them, warns them very strongly uh, to repent. Uh, but So we can get an, a hint of some insight into what was happening there from what's happening here in Colossae. Because he says, when this epistle is read among you, cause that it be read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. So whatever was written to Laodicea by Paul, uh, he wants that read in Colossae as well. So as much as this letter to Colossae gives us some insight into what was going on in Laodicea, when Christ sends his epistle to Laodicea, that would also give us some indication then of how things fared for the brethren in Colossae. Verse 17, And say to Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you fulfill it. So he doesn't say that Archippus is one of these that you can absolutely be confident in. So Archippus is a minister there, and he says to him publicly, you take heed to the ministry which you've received in the Lord, that you fulfill it. So that certainly is a very um, serious warning to the minister here, Archippus. The salutation by the hand of me, Paul. Remember my bonds. So I'm in prison. Don't forget me. Pray for me. Remember my bonds. Grace be with you. Amen. And so that was written uh, by Paul, uh, uh, the Apostle Paul, as one of the uh, prison epistles. Uh, and with that, actually, we've completed uh, all of the prison epistles. Uh, the first one we did some four or five years ago was uh, Philippi. We did Philemon. We've done Ephesians. And we've done Colossae. Those are the four prison epistles all written uh, more or less around the same time uh, by the Apostle Paul when he was uh, under house arrest. So it's amazing how Satan thought that he was doing well by persecuting Paul, by imprisoning Paul, and all he was doing was furthering Paul's understanding, deepening his insights, and uh, giving him the time to translate this deep understanding that he had into letters, and then to send these letters out to the congregations and then for these letters to be canonized. And here we are thousands of years later facing the very same issues that we can now be edified and instructed by the Apostle Paul 
and what to do in the face of syncretism. So brethren, I hope you found uh, this study helpful and uh, God willing, we'll be back. Uh, I'll be back on the uh, Eastern time zone uh, next week and we can have a, a bit of a, a live Q&A and um, then God willing, we'll get back into the book of Psalms. God bless you, brethren. Good night.